we are living at a point of crisis. Today, we are living at a point of crisis. Today, we have decisions to make, and I'm talking about us as evangelical followers of Jesus Christ. We are at a point of crisis today in the Christian church. That is the reality. That is the truth of where we're at today. We are at a point of crisis, and our crisis is this. What will we do? What will we decide And what will we declare about this, the word of God? That is our crisis. Will we stand on it or will we compromise it? Will we uphold it and declare it or will we shrink back from it? Will we be led ourselves and shaped by it or will we look to anything and everything else? We're at a point of crisis and it has to do today with the word of God. Friends, what are we going to do with the word of God? Now, let me tell you this. Be very clear. Everything is at stake. Do you understand that? Everything is at stake. The problems in our nation today, it is a failing to uphold the word of God. People are scrambling around and having all these discussions. I want to tell you the problem with the United States of America today is a failing to uphold the word of God. The failings in our homes today, in our marriages today. People look around like it's something new. I want to tell you the problem in our marriages, the problem in our homes today is a failing to uphold the word of God. The problem with our kids, the problem with school shootings goes back to a failure to uphold the word of God. People are are turning away from Jesus Christ. People are never hearing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and is a failing to uphold and to declare faithfully the word of God, the Bible. Folks, we're at a point of crisis today. Be very clear. I really don't know how to make this any more urgent this morning, but be very clear, today, today, this morning, we are in the last days. Do you watch the news? Do you watch the TV? Do you look around you today? We are in the last days. And Satan's first attack there in the garden on the word of God, I believe, is gonna be his greatest and his final attack, and it's on the word of God. And so the question is this, what are we going to do with this, the word of God? Today our message is entitled, The Word on the Word. The Word on the Word. We're in Luke chapter 20, today verses 27 through 40. Luke chapter 20, today verses 27 through 40. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word, the word on the word, beginning here in verse 27. It says this. Now there came to him some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection. And they questioned him saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies having a wife and he is childless, his brother should marry the wife and raise up the children to his brother. Now there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died childless, and the second and the third married her, 
And in the same way, all seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had married her. Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot even die anymore because they are like angels and are the sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. For they did not have courage to question him any longer about anything. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we're thankful. We're thankful that we serve a reigning king, Jesus, a risen savior, the redeemer for our souls, the propitiation for our sin, the payment that we couldn't pay, our Lord Jesus Christ. We come today and I'm thankful for the the testimony of baptism that we watched. I, I pray that we as a church would surround them, would encourage them, would walk with them and would all be for your glory. I'm thankful for their testimony today. I pray now as we begin to study your word, I pray that it would not be a a lecture, wouldn't be a, a giving out of information, but it would be a supernatural movement of God where your word is imparted to us. The words of the living God imparted to us. God, move in our midst today. I pray for some in this room that do not know Jesus Christ. I pray that in this hour, in the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they might be saved today. Lord, we come and we lay all this before you. We tell you we love you. We praise you and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today in our study of the gospel of Luke, we are continuing looking at the exchanges that occur between Jesus and those who are trying to trap him, those who are literally trying to kill him. That's what we have recorded here in the 20th chapter. We're we're looking at the exchanges that go on between those who are trying to trap our Savior, Jesus. Now, remember the context. Jesus has come down into Jerusalem. Remember, on that day, as he does, he is hailed as the hope of Israel. He is hailed as the coming king. He's proclaimed as the Messiah. Well, remember, once he gets into Jerusalem, the Bible tells us he goes into the temple, and there he points out the false worship. There he points out the corruption that's going on, and the Bible gives the account where he clears out, where he cleanses the temple. Then... The Bible tells us he begins to teach there in the courtyard. He begins to teach. Now, in this chapter, in that context, we have the actual accounts of the Jewish leaders as they try to trap him. We have the actual accounts of the words that the Jewish leaders use as they try to set a snare 
for him. In this 20th chapter, they have asked him who gave him the right to do what he had done. They asked him, really, who do you think you are? By whose authority are you acting? And that's where they start off in this chapter. Then last week, following his parable, last week they tried to set him up with a divisive question on how they should relate to the government. And they, they thought they had the snare set and they thought for sure they had caught him there in this situation. And they were setting the snare. How are they supposed to relate to the government? Well, with that question resolved, listen to verse 26. And they were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people. And being amazed at his answer, they became silent. With that issue resolved, with that question resolved, we have our verses today. In our verses, as we move through this account, as they once again try to ensnare him, we are going to see today some points, really some truths about the word of God. As we move through these verses, we're gonna see some great truths about the word of God. As we begin, the first thing that we see this morning is confusion apart from the word of God. Confusion, there is confusion apart from the word of God or in the absence of the word of God. Let's start looking at verse 27. Now there came to him some of the Sadducees, my translation says, who say there is no resurrection. Now there came to him some of the Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection. That last part was added later by one of the recipients of the gospel. Now there came to him some of the Sadducees. Now, let me explain to you this group called the Sadducees. They were a Jewish sect. They were a Jewish group who believed that the first five books of the Old Testament, the books that came from Moses, they believed those were the books that were the accepted teachings. And they believed that the other books were of lesser value. Some of them even held that they were of little or no value. So they believe these first five books, the books from Moses, they are the ones that are accepted to teach from. And that the other books of the Old Testament were of a lesser value, if not no or little value. From their incomplete perspective, from that flawed perspective, they came to some conclusions in their religious practice. Now here's what these Sadducees believe. They did not believe in angels. In fact, they really downplayed the supernatural. They downplayed the supernatural. They believed in no life after death. And so therefore, they did not believe in the possibility of resurrection. Now, because of these views, they believed that this life was it. Now think about it. If you hold those views, this life must be it. And they would think that in this life, the point to everything takes place in this life. And so they were consumed with right living. 
if this life is all that there is, then for sure you would want to live it right. And so they were consumed with right living. They were very rule-oriented. They were very legalistic. They wanted to have right living if this was all there was to their life. Think about that. What a terrible way to live. What a, what a terrible view of life. There's, there's no hope in that. There's, there's no joy in that, a wrong view of God, really, a wrong view of life, a, a wrong view of eternity. How would they ever have any joy? They, they had to be miserable as they held these were the tenets of their faith. It all ends here. This is the point to everything. What a terrible way to live. So listen to this. Verse 28. And they questioned him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies having a wife and he is childless, his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother. Now, this was from Leviticus. It was also from Deuteronomy. It is talking about here the the situation where there was a man and the man is, is married and he has no kids, he has no heirs, and he dies. And then the brother the brother of that man was to marry that wife to preserve the lineage, to produce kids, that there would be the name that would go on. There would be the lineage that would be extended. Now understand, this was a rare situation. And also understand, it was only to be used in this case. In fact, you were to never marry your brother's wife except for in this situation. And so understand, it is a rare situation, but they take this rare situation and they use it to build their case. Verse 29. Now, there were seven brothers and the first took a wife and died childless. And so it happens. That's that's the prescription that it's talking about. This guy takes a wife He dies, he has no children. What it's talking about, it happens. That's the start of the situation, verse 30. And the second, verse 31, and the third married her. And in the same way, all seven died, leaving no children. Now, as I read about that, I wonder about that seventh brother. Would you like some coffee with your breakfast? No, I would not like some coffee with my breakfast. Been to six of his brother's funeral. I wonder about that brother. But it says in the same way he did it, he died. Verse 32. Finally, my lands, finally, the woman died also. That gum, she lives, outlives seven of those guys. They have no heirs, they have no kids, and she has died herself. She is dead, she is gone. Verse 33. In the resurrection, therefore, which one's wife will she be? Now, sometimes we kind of have the same version of this question. For all seven had married her. In the resurrection, therefore, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had married her. Now, see this in verse 33. They know that this is what God had called for 
in Deuteronomy, in Leviticus. They know that this is what God had called for and at the same time, they do not believe in life after death. And so they are using this situation to laugh at the idea. They are using this situation to mock the idea that there's life after death. Now, this probably was one of the favorite arguments they made when they argued with the Pharisees. This probably wasn't a new argument. When they would have a debate with the Pharisees, they probably came to this argument many times. And so it was a well-rehearsed argument and, and probably not a new one. And so they had cast it out many times. Well, now they ask it of Jesus. And they think they have him. Again, the trap is set. These dumb Pharisees, they tried to trap him. They, they had tried their best, but they couldn't catch him. But now we've caught him. Now the, the trap is set. Now he can't answer the contradiction. And so they wait for his answer. They, they lean in for his answer. The snare is set. He's caught in the contradiction. And we see here the confusion that occurs when you try to operate apart from the word of God. These Sadducees, these people had come to some flawed conclusions by excluding part of the word of God. Folks, hear me this morning. Folks, listen to me this morning. The same is always true. The same still holds true. And trying to build a faith or trying to build anything for that matter on a part of the word of God or separate from the full counsel of the word of God is going to end in disaster. Friends, hear me today. If somebody is saying that they use this part of the Bible, but they put apart aside this part of the Bible, or if they say they take parts out of the Bible, or if they add parts to the Bible, or if they have a different gospel from Paul and it doesn't match the gospel from Peter or from Jesus, or if they're scared to say what it has said, or if they try to say things that it has never said, and if they're teaching anything, and I mean anything other than the full count of God's word, brother, you better tuck tail and run. I wish I had my voice right here. I want to tell you, you find somebody and they say, you know what, we've excluded this part or we've added in this part or this part doesn't matter to me today. You tuck tail and run, brother. We build our life according to the full counsel of God's word. And so we see here the confusion that occurs when you try to use part of it and you operate apart, separate from the word of God. Next thing we see is the clarity of the word of God. The clarity of the word of God. Listen to verse 34. Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. Verse 34, he starts to just lay it out for them. He says, now, 
at this time, people marry and people are given in marriage. He starts to lay it out for them. Verse 35. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Now, verse 35, he keeps laying it out. First thing that we see here, some folks won't be in heaven. Only those who are counted worthy. The Bible says we're only counted worthy by faith in Jesus Christ. But the first thing he says, not everybody's gonna be in heaven. And he keeps laying it out here. And he says, but of those who are in heaven, they won't marry or they, won't, they also won't be given in marriage. Now, I want you to understand here, this is not a discourse on heaven, but he is answering their questions. Verse 36. For they cannot even die anymore. Really, that's the answer. <clears throat> For they cannot even die anymore because they are like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Verse 36, he keeps laying it out. And he says here, there will not be death in heaven. Now that's tied very specifically to the question. We won't need birth. We won't need to procreate. So therefore there will not be marriage because now in heaven there's the absence of death. That's what that one sentence means. You know what? There's not gonna be any death. We no longer need birth. We're not gonna procreate. There's not the need for marriage. Then he says, keeps going on in that verse, those who are there will be like, like angels. Now I read that. <clears throat> he really is messing them up here. He's, he's really mixing them up here. You see, they do not believe in an afterlife. He's explaining the afterlife, but they don't believe in angels. He's using angels to explain the afterlife. He's really messing them up. Now be sure of this. When people die, they are not angels. Do you understand that? It says you're like an angel. When a person dies, they are not an angel. And so he's laying it out here. There's no marriage because there's not dying. And he keeps going on. They are the sons of God. That's the position they hold. They are sons of the resurrection. Now see what's happened here. They raise all these issues, <clears throat> there's no afterlife, there's no resurrection, there are no angels, they're all confused in this matter of marriage. What about the seven husbands? And then see what's happened here, Jesus makes it all clear. Jesus gives the answer. That age is not like this age. And he says, here is the truth of this age. And he says, here are some truths about that age. And Jesus makes all the questions clear. Do you see what he's done here? He has established there is a resurrection. There is an afterlife. There are some people who won't be there. For those who are there, they're gonna be like angels. They're not gonna die. They're not gonna marry. He says in heaven, death won't exist any longer. And he says, and oh yeah, here's the answer to your question on marriage. In that one verse, Jesus makes it all clear. Friends, be sure. Listen up. 
be sure what God has deemed vital for us to know in his word he is given for us to know. Do you hear? I'm gonna say that again. What God has deemed as important, as vital for us to know in his word, he has given to us to know. I wanna tell you, I do not need somebody's trip to heaven to tell me what it's like. I have the word of God. He told me what it's like. I wanna tell you, I don't need somebody's explanation of who goes to heaven. I can turn to the word of God and it'll tell me who goes to heaven. I want to tell you, I don't need somebody to go out in the woods and sit down and try to interpret what they think Jesus would say. I can open the Bible and I can see what Jesus has said. There is clarity in the word of God. What are we going to do with it? Well, I think I could believe in heaven if a four-year-old boy would tell me what it was. Listen, God told me what it was. Oh, I think I'd be closer to Jesus if I could hodgepodge some verses and have a new word from Jesus. Listen, I have the word from Jesus. What are we gonna do with it? Word of God is clear. So, We see the clarity of the word of God. Next we see this. And this is pretty beautiful, really pretty awesome. Next we see the cohesiveness of the word of God. Not a word you want to say with this voice. We see the cohesiveness, really the consistency of the word of God. This is pretty cool, pretty profound. Look at verses 37 and 38. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Verse 37, listen to verse 38. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Now watch this, this is pretty awesome. They are basing everything on the books of Moses. They're they're basing everything on these first five books of the Old Testament. And here Jesus says that the dead are raised. And he says even Moses showed that. And so he says, you remember the burning bush? You, you remember Moses? It's in, your, it's in your first five books. Do you remember Moses? Do you remember the burning bush? Do you remember when Moses says, God, who are you? When he, when he tells who God is, and the answer is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He, he says here, if you think about it, guys, do you remember the Hebrew tense? It wasn't the past tense. It was the present tense. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. Listen, he wasn't talking about past dead people. He was talking about present people. They were alive. 
How, how smart is that? Jesus says here, hey, the answer's in the word. It's my word and every word of it matters and it's all cohesive. He says even Moses knew there was life after death, guys. Here's the point. Listen carefully. The word of Moses isn't in conflict with the words of Jesus. The words of the law do not conflict with what Paul calls the gospel of grace. The Old Testament doesn't contradict the New Testament or vice versa. The New Testament doesn't contradict the Old Testament. It is all the word of God. And from Genesis chapter one, verse one, all the way to Revelation chapter 22, verse 21, it is all cohesive and it's all consistent. Listen, do you see how crazy that is? Do you see how awesome, how unreal that is? Recorded by 40 authors on three separate continents, written over 2,000 years, and yet it's all unified in purpose. It's all unified in message. It's all cohesive and it all points to Jesus Christ. The one who's speaking. The one who's being questioned. Do you see how awesome this is? They thought they were gonna trip him up with a saying of Moses. He says, hey brother, it's my word. I know Moses. It's all cohesive. So there they sit and they lean in. He's trapped. No, he's not trapped. It all adds up. Last thing we see today, and that is the conclusion from the word of God. The conclusion from the word of God. Verse 39. Some of the scribes answered and said, teacher, you have spoken well. Verse 39 is really a very funny verse. You see, the scribes were Pharisees. The scribes disagreed with the Sadducees. In fact, they were, they were an, op- an opposing group. They were in opposition to the Sadducees. These, these Pharisees they would have believed in life after death. They would have believed in the supernatural. They would have believed in the angels. And so here is this scribe, and you know what? Honestly, he hates Jesus. He hates him. He's part of the plan, one of these groups that's gonna try and is actually gonna kill Jesus. But he's sitting there, and he answers in agreement with what he says, and even hating Jesus, he says, yeah, that's right. You've spoken correctly. He's probably looking over to Sadducees. Yeah, that's right. Listen to verses 39 and 40 together. Some of the scribes answered and said, teacher, you've spoken well. We hate you, but you've spoken well. For they did not have courage to question him any longer about anything. The conclusion from the word of God is this, and it's this again. The truth will always stand. There was nothing and there is nothing to shrink back from. 
There was no trick that Jesus had to be wary of. The truth stood then, and be very clear, the truth stands now. The truth will always stand. Folks, we're at a crisis in our world today. We're at a crisis in our Christian life today. We're at a crisis in the church today. What do we do with the word of God? The world's saying it's ridiculous. The world's saying it's irrelevant. The world's saying it's outdated, and we're gonna have to decide what are we gonna do with the word of God. This is ignorant. This is not scientific. What are we going to do with the word of God? Listen, we take our cues from Jesus and we proclaim it and we defend it and we speak it and we stand on it and we share it that a world would see our Savior, Jesus. That's what we do with the word of God. Brother, the truth will always stand and it points to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and I am so thankful. We are so blessed in the grace you've shown us in preserving and giving to us your own words, your speech, the word of God. I, I pray as we hear this message today that as Christians we begin to devour it we begin to spend time in it and to, to study it and to read it and to memorize it, to crave, to be where it's gonna be preached and where it's gonna be, where it's gonna be taught. That we would live our lives according to it. We would, we would set the course of our life according to the truth of God's word. And most of all, that a banner would go up that there is a risen Savior and his name is Jesus. The hope still stands and that through the truth of the word, they'd find the truth of Jesus. I praise you for it. I thank you. I worship you. I'm so thankful, Lord, in your kindness. You give us your word. I pray for Christians here today, for the leading of the Holy Spirit of God inside of us, that we would turn we would, we would take in your word. We would order our lives accordingly. We would direct our steps accordingly. We would live lives that honor you because of that. I pray for some in this room that do not know the word Jesus. I pray that today as they've tried many different ways, as they've looked to find peace in many different areas, that today they might put their faith in Jesus, the truth, the way. Speak to their hearts. Lord, we come, I pray in our time of invitation that you would truly move, that you would truly speak, that you'd be glorified through it. Move in our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.